If you or someone you know is experiencing a mental health or substance use crisis, call 988. 988 provides free, confidential, compassionate support 24-7 in your phone's local area code. You are not alone in crisis. There is hope. I've confronted hundreds of men over two decades. I have been in television for 24 years. I just came to get something to eat. And I have very seldom been at a loss for words. I just came to get something to eat. Men online looking for children to sexually assault. What's the motive here? It's, Explain to me. I'm no, not you're right. No, you're right. It's stupid. It's, it's not. It's an illegal no. thing. Yeah, I know. I did a stupid thing. Men from all walks of life. A doctor, a teacher, a clergyman. You sent pornographic pictures through the mail. Okay, that's a federal offense right there. You know I'm in trouble, and I know I'm in trouble. I tried to get into their heads and understand why. Who we have tonight? Uh, I, I want to know who you are. I want to know a little bit more about you first. Can I eat first? Sure, go ahead. Let's see if any of this sounds familiar while you enjoy your pizza. And ultimately, make sure they face justice. You ask her if she's a virgin. I ask everybody all kinds of stuff. It's just talk. You ask her if she's horny. What's wrong with that? You ask if she does anal. It's a question. Question. Who are they? Have they tried to prey on other children? And where are they now? These are the predators I've caught. I'm Chris Hansen. In case you've ever wondered how I choose the predators I've caught to appear to be profiled in this podcast, it's a combination of things. I pay close attention to the emails you all send me on chris at predatorpodcast.com. I talk to Joey Teacap, who's one of the many predator aficionados who keeps record of all this stuff. And I try to think back through the 400 to 500 guys who've walked into my dark kitchens and, and think, which ones do I find interesting? Now, it's not scientific, I grant you, but so far I think we've done a pretty interesting job. And because there are so many predators out there and so many more to catch, I think we'll be doing this podcast for a very long time. Having said all that, it dawned on me the other day that one of the most interesting one of the most dangerous, and one of the oldest predators I've caught is Michael Gentile. Michael Gentile surfaced in our Fairfield, Connecticut investigation. 11 guys overall were caught in that particular sting. And it was interesting because, well, for a number of reasons. One, it wasn't very far from where I lived at the time in Connecticut. One of the guys I actually caught, who will profile at some point, Charles Lawrence, was actually a fellow I knew from the commuter train, traveling back and forth between Connecticut and New York City, where I keep an office. And there were other interesting characters who showed up, one more dangerous, more offensive than the other. But Gentile, Gentile stands out. At 64 years old, Gentile had one of the most disturbing conversations, chat logs, I have ever taken a look at. Gentile thought he was chatting with a 13-year-old girl named Brittany, and he got right to business. The chat logs are graphic. Some of it I don't even feel comfortable repeating here. 
He also had a series of very graphic phone conversations with the young girl, the decoy. In this particular investigation, we worked with the Fairfield, Connecticut Police Department, a fine organization at the time led by Chief Gary McNamara, who I had known from a number of other stories I'd worked on over the years. And I approached McNamara about doing a predator sting, and he was all for it, as was the local prosecutor in Fairfield County at the time. And so Tetrid Corps was our partner in terms of the decoys. Perverted Justice had disbanded. This was in October of 2015 when we actually did this sting. And Tetrid Corps encompassed some former Perverted Justice volunteers and had others who volunteered to do this sort of work, very good at what they do. Protocols similar to perverted justice, they would take a picture, create a profile of a 12, 13, 14-year-old boy or girl online and just hang out and wait to be approached by a man who would then, in many cases, start a very graphic, sexually charged conversation. A meeting would be set, a threshold would be crossed, and this predator would be invited to our sting house. In this particular house, we had just about the perfect setup. We installed 12 different cameras, some in water bottles, some in garbage cans, some in the garage, some in the house. We could see down the street. It was an ideal setup. We worked with the same basic hidden camera crew that was with us throughout most of the original Predator investigations. Eric Wagenberg, Mitchell Wagenberg, and and the fellows that worked with them. I also had the pleasure of having my son Chase work as a cameraman on this particular investigation, and that becomes significant in a minute, and I'll explain that. So we set up in this house, which was owned by a fellow I knew who was dating a, a neighbor of mine in Connecticut, and he was trying to sell the house at the time, and, and I said, look, this is ideal for us. He was living with his, his then uh, partner in another house. I said, you know, we're willing to pay a location fee and take a look at this house. And and it was ideal. It was just off I-95, easy access, didn't stick out of the neighborhood. And perhaps most important, it had a three-car garage. And this was key because we actually had room to set up what we needed inside the house. And the Fairfield Police Department could set up its own task force center, if you will, in the third car garage. So even if the guy came in one way, we could have him walk into the house. I could do the confrontation. The police would have easy access in case something unexpected happened. But then he could be excused, the predator, out that door from the interior house into the garage. The predator would then be arrested. We could get video of that. He could be searched. He could be put into a unmarked police car and just driven out of the garage and then they could remove his car afterwards. And this is important because it doesn't create a ruckus in the neighborhood. We've had instances where, you know, these guys run and there's a chase and sometimes tasers are involved. And as much as possible, we prefer that no one in the neighborhood knows that we are there. We get different responses on this. Some people are very glad we're in their neighborhood. They know that it's going to be one of the safest neighborhoods in America after we're finished. Other people aren't quite sure they want these guys coming in and around and driving around. But 
it's about as safe as any neighborhood in the world when we're operating. The police are there and the guys get arrested. And if they don't show up, they're later contacted and told about the sting. If there was enough evidence in the chat log, they will be prosecuted at that point. But, but there is no danger of these guys ever coming back and doing anything to the house. So during the investigation, Tetrid Corps decoys are chatting with Michael Gentile. He's 64 years old. He's a limo driver. He drives a sedan. He lives in Brewster, New York. He's got a wife and young daughter. And he starts really grooming this Brittany, who he thinks is 13. And he says things about how he likes to be naked. He sends pictures of himself naked, playing the guitar. Says he likes to drum. He invites the girl to send him naked pictures. And he seems really irritated when he doesn't. He also sends some pictures of himself sitting on the toilet in a pool, where we later found out he had pool parties for his daughter's cheerleading team. That's a whole other topic to take a look at. We will in a moment. And this chat gets graphic very quick. Gentile is an avid texture, telling the girl, I miss you, sweetheart. Where are you? I love you, sweetheart. I will try you in the morning when I awake. Good morning, my angel. I miss you so much. Fuck. I am miserable when I don't talk to you. I love you, baby. Frown face. This I don't understand. You say you love me, but I don't hear from you for so long. I wish you knew how much that hurts me. I am so in love with you. This is tearing me apart. Remember, these are texts a 64-year-old man is sending to someone he thinks is 13 years old. And if these texts don't bother you, wait till you hear the phone calls recorded between Gentile and the decoy. They are among the most graphic, disturbing I have ever heard. At one point, he actually asks her to use a banana to simulate sex in preparation for his arrival. He talks about all the different things he wants to do to her. And again, remember, this is, uh, you know, somebody who's pretending to be a young, vulnerable, perhaps at-risk 13-year-old girl. Take a listen to some of what he says. I love you, my little angel. You're my little sex kitten. I love you so much. And I want to stick my tongue inside you. I want to make you feel so good, honey. I can't wait, sweetheart, for you to suck on my cock. I bet you're going to do such a good job. I want to eat your pussy. I want to make you come. Oh, God, yeah. And then it appears that he might be a little bit nervous. He wants to make sure this isn't some sort of a setup or sting. He tells the girl, I would like you to try to do this in the next 20 minutes or so. I want you to make a sign with my name on it, Michael, but I love you. I want you to go in the bathroom and take your shirt off and your bra and take a picture in the mirror holding the sign over your tits so I can't see anything. If you could do that for me very soon, I will never, ever doubt you. Well, obviously, that's not something that the decoy could or would do. Remember, there are two different sets of decoys. The decoys who go online and do the chats, take the phone calls, and then we, in this case, in Fairfield, had two on-site decoys, a 19-year-old 
female theater student from a nearby university and young man who was a police cadet for the Fairfield Police Department. So those were the people who actually met the predators when they were on site. But we would never, ever put somebody in the position to send a picture like that. Uh, in some cases, and in the current cases, obviously, we, we have ways of dealing with these requests. But, you know, in this particular investigation, we weren't going to send that picture. But it, it goes to show you how deep the desire is for these guys that even though that request wasn't fulfilled, Michael Gentile was willing to show up anyway. So we know Gentile is on his way. It's about an hour drive from his home in Brewster, New York, which is, you know, a suburb, I suppose, of New York City to our sting house in Fairfield, Connecticut. And we're tracking him along the way. He's in contact, texting, and and finally he shows up. And as with every one of these cases, I'm ultra-focused. I have transcripts. I have, you know, the information on him, a summary of his phone chats. And he's very suspicious. He drives around, checks out the house, and finally he pulls up, gets out and walks in and he appears hinky right away there's an entrance hallway from the door he came into that would or should lead him if we had our way into the kitchen where I would do the interview he gets maybe three or four steps in and the on-site decoy who by this time has encountered A handful of predators already is getting a little bit more confident, but, you know, we don't want her to get too close. We have internal security. Ron Knight is there with a couple of his colleagues to make sure everything's safe inside the house. The police are on the property, obviously. But still, you don't want to get into a situation where the decoy is uncomfortable. So he doesn't want to come any farther into the house. And the decoy pretends like she's trying to close a window and needs help. And he starts to come over and do it. And now at this point, I've got a decision to make. Do I let this play out? Do I risk him getting hinky and leaving? Or do I make my approach, make myself seen, heard, and gamble that that's enough to get this guy to come into the kitchen and sit down? More often than not, it works for whatever combination of reasons. The predator thinks I'm the police, doesn't have a choice, that I'm the mad dad, is scared, or just is so flipped out by his fantasy being spoiled and being confronted by an adult that, you know, he just does what I say. More about this predator I've caught in a moment. This was not the case with Michael Gentile. The 64-year-old bolted quickly. Now, police knew that this was a possibility and they were ready. So they arrest him right away. They get him and they take him away. And he is a belligerent son of a bitch the whole way. There are some interesting things that happen next. Gentile is taken down to the police department for his questioning. Now, again, remember, I didn't get a chance to question him, so this video 
becomes significant in our storytelling. We have a camera at Fairfield PD and a combination of investigators, very good investigators, by the way. In fact, I watched a lot of these police interrogation tapes after the fact and picked up some tips. I mean, I think I'm a pretty good interviewer, but but they, this Fairfield PD, I cannot say enough good things about. They're really top-notch professional. And so they get into just the basics of questioning Michael Gentile. And he says, and this is probably one of the most memorable lines of the Gentile interrogation. He says, uh, are you married or single? Single, divorced, married. Married. Pause. Soon to be divorced. About to be divorced. Well, that was true. He knew that his wife would have no part of this. He continues to try to lie his way through the interrogation. The investigator asks, you know, a very basic question, and he's going to stick to his story. He thought the woman he was chatting with was in her 30s. Then he suggests it was a role-playing chat room when confronted with hard evidence that he was, you know, full of BS. He shucks and jives. Take a listen to a piece of that interrogation with Fairfield police. How old's your friend? I, as far as I understood, she was in her 30s. But yeah, I didn't know she was a minor. You didn't know she was a minor? She told me she was younger, but I thought we were just doing role play. But I think when I first met her, she said she was 34 or 36 or something. I don't remember exactly. Well, whose house is that thing? That is ours. I know it's hers. Hers? Her parents. 30-year-old lives with her parents? The investigator interrogating him finally is just so disgusted. And some of this, I'm sure, is interrogation technique. But he, he really is disgusted with the genteel. And I think everybody was at this point and continues to be. And finally, after some more questions, some more incomplete, dodgy answers like this one. When I first found her picture, she, it was said she was 34. No, that doesn't. Right does. I'm 13. It says, in your response, is 13. Now that's gorgeous. The investigator says something to the effect of, And that's the story you're going to keep? Good luck to you. Have a nice life. And Gentile has to call his wife. I told my wife. She'll, she works for an attorney. And the investigator says he's been arrested for attempting to solicit a 13-year-old girl. And she's in disbelief. She thinks it's a, it's a joke of some sort. This is not a joke. If you want, you can call back the police department and can give me that number. Gentile's bond, and remember this investigation took place over the weekend, so it was hard to, to post bond, was set at $500,000, among the highest of any bonds set in, in all of our predator investigations. And he goes to the lockup with the predators I've caught so far in this investigation. When they search Gentile before they transport him to the jail, they find a hotel key in his pocket. And they figure out which hotel this came from. So now we get word from the police that they're going to go over and check out this hotel room that Michael Gentile had rented before he came over to the house to meet 13-year-old Brittany. So we send 
a crew along with, including my son Chase with a camera. And they go to this hotel room. Police with a search warrant. When they gain entry and go inside the hotel room, they find what the police chief would later describe as a kitty porn manufacturing site. Gentile had a laptop in the room, a digital camera, he had a knife. Oh, there's the knife he was talking about. His wallet and ID were in the room. And by all accounts, it appeared that he wanted to take this 13-year-old girl back to the hotel, rape her, videotape it, and create child porn, either for his own entertainment, sick and twisted as that sounds, or to perhaps sell on the internet. Now, later in the investigation, investigators go through Gentile's phone. They find multiple images of child pornography. I mean, this is something that he was very much into. That is a, an additional crime and an additional factor that we have to weigh. And that becomes part of the criminal charge later. And you can just imagine you know, the disturbing scenario that would have played out had this not been a Hanson versus Predators investigation. Had there been a real 13-year-old girl who was vulnerable, who was home alone, and Gentile preyed upon her, there would have been a rape. There would have been a video made. And what's he going to do with that video? And remember, the reason why the penalties are so severe for the possession and transmission, distribution of child pornography, is that every time an image of child pornography is viewed, it's the re-victimization of that child. Now, he's already got images on his phone, and he was about to take it a step further and get images of 13-year-old Brittany. Thankfully, it was us and the Fairfield PD, not a real 13-year-old girl. Gentile eventually bails out. He mentions, and we confirm later, that his wife actually works for a law firm. And so we believe that he was able to use that connection to help him facilitate bailing out. Ultimately. In 2017, Gentile pleaded guilty to possession of the child pornography, to soliciting a minor online for sex, and basically endangering the welfare of a minor. He is sentenced to four and a half years, and that was one of the higher-end sentences from the Fairfield, Connecticut investigation. He was also given 10 years probation and mandatory registration as a sex offender. Just this year, in January of 2021, Gentile was released from prison. 10 years probation now and registration as a sex offender. Gentile, who has a completely different appearance than when he surfaced in our investigation, now looks like an aging 
roadie, I suppose. He's got long, white, scraggly hair. He's got a mustache and a goatee. The latest word we have on Gentile is that he moved in with a friend in a big, beautiful home on a lake in Connecticut, but more recently has moved to a much more standard dwelling in another area of Connecticut. Gentile will actually turn 70 years old in four days from the time of this actual recording. We don't see that he's working anywhere in Connecticut and not sure how he's getting by, but he does have to report in to his probation officer, the state of Connecticut. You have to wonder about a guy like Michael Gentile, if he had met anybody underage online before, to our knowledge and to the knowledge of the Fairfield Police Department, he had not, or at least there's no evidence of it. Again, the child porn was on his phone. There was an investigation into his computer, and there was great concern because his teen daughter would host parties with her fellow cheerleaders at their home, pool parties. As for his wife, who he admitted during his interrogation would probably become his ex-wife, he predicted accurately they got divorced. The wife who he called the witch, quote-unquote, in the transcripts, in a conversation between Gentile and the 13-year-old decoy, has moved on with her life. I always wondered, too, about the collateral damage there. I mean, it had to be horrible for the former Mrs. Gentile to have to deal with this, much less their daughter. We had, in an earlier episode, an interview with the daughter of one of the predators we caught in Riverside, California, and she talked about worrying that maybe she inherited his monster DNA. I'm more worried that this daughter in this case has to just deal with the stigma of having a father who did this. I hope his ex-wife has moved on. We're going to reach out to a number of people who are tangentially tied to the predators I've caught. I think it would be interesting to see how their lives have been impacted by the illegal predatory behavior of their former loved ones. And I'd also like to talk to some of the actual predators, and that's in the works as well. If you want to reach out to me with ideas for this podcast, predators you'd like to know more about, or let me know more about, you can reach me at chris at predatorpodcast.com. I'm Chris Hansen, and this is Predators I've Caught.